so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast uh, with... um, uh, Lose my train of thought here. Choo-choo. Trying to help. Just said train. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Rhett. (laughs) The train really is off the tracks, isn't it? Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week for the final episode of 2021... I can't believe it's already here, is Brent Leatherwood. That's right. It is the final episode for this year. That's right. 2021. What a year. Are we going to have some reflections later on about the the year? I hope so, because that would be kind of boring for a final episode. (laughs) Just just say, ah, forget about it. We'll see you next year. Although, that's kind of how I felt about 2020. And now 2021, kind of same way, you know. 2021 has kind of felt like 2020 and a half. Right. And then... 2022 is going to be 2020 and three quarters. Yeah, something like that. We'll get there by 2023. How many times can you say 2020, 2020, 2020? I don't know. But anyway, we digress. So let's get into talking about what's been happening lately. And we'll start with what the ERLC has been talking about this week. So leading up to Christmas, of course, we want to talk about the season and we want to talk about the good parts of it and the hard parts of it. So we have a a piece by Jill Wagner titled, An Encouragement for Caregivers This Christmas, Five Reminders from the Book of Nahum. And Jill and her family have walked through cancer. Her husband was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. He's doing well now, and so we give God praise for that. But But Jill's perspective is one that, you know what? It's not always easy during Christmas. And some people during Christmas are caring for loved ones or have been experiencing some kind of a loss. And so as she clung to God's word, she wants to help those of you who are walking through a hard season to do the same. So she points you to how God encouraged her through this small, unexpected book. And I hope that you will draw the same kind of encouragement that she has from the Lord meeting her right where she was. So in that same vein, we have an article by Pat Aldridge, a pastor out in the Midwest, and it's titled, Why Do I Experience the Christmas Blues? I love this time of the year, but it is not always the most wonderful time of the year, especially during this season with the pandemic, with what's going on internationally, with our polarized and divided culture in a multitude of areas. So Pat explores some of the reasons why we may experience the Christmas blues And he explores from his own personal experience and then how we can counsel our hearts. And what one of the things I love is how he describes how his church hosts a blue Christmas service for those who are experiencing a season of lament. And it's a place for them to come, to be reminded of the hope of the gospel, but to be where they are so they don't have to put on this happy, clappy face and pretend that everything's okay. But they can come and they can mourn and they can 
be encouraged by the hope that they have in Christ? Well, the second article in particular, it it definitely speaks to me. I'm somebody that used to experience the Christmas blues every year. Really? Yeah, I I, I hated when Christmas time oh, passed. I did not know that. So actually, when when I kid the rest of you all uh, on the team or anyone else really that listens to me. Uh, that Jesus is the reason for every season. I, I do that to just try and keep the joy that I have around Christmas just going throughout the year. Uh, because I, I just I just love this time of year. And I think it has to do with oftentimes because my my parents were divorced, after Christmas, like I would leave the vast majority of my family because my my mom ended up moving away from my family. And so that I think that's what it's tied up in. But th- there was an article in Baptist Press a couple weeks ago, where um, one of the members of the team at BP was interviewing Ricky Skaggs. And he was saying, you know, I, I love Christmas and I love singing Christmas songs. I love this time of year because I think, A, more Christians are willing to actually share the hope that they have in Christ, and more people are more receptive to it. But he's like, why aren't we doing that the other 11 months out of the year? And I think that's true. I think that's the posture that we need to have. And I think that Having that posture, that kind of joy that we get at Christmas, uh, if we're able to maintain that throughout the year, it it maybe will help us avoid getting the Christmas blues. Um, But at the same time, there's a lot of people who have very different experiences. I love the fact that he talks about pain and grief that comes this time of year. There's a lot of folks that have uh, that. And so for those folks, a, a blue Christmas service, what, what a wonderful way that the church has come up to, to serve those folks. And so there's a lot that goes into it. And I love that we have this article ahead of Christmas so that after Christmas, we can be thinking through these things and resourcing the church. And then also Jill's uh, article that you mentioned at the beginning, gosh, she walked through so much with her family. And I'm so glad that uh, she kind of shared a little bit about her experience uh, in this piece, because there are so many folks that are working and caring for loved ones uh, who are in need right now. And oftentimes we kind of forget about those workers and what they're experiencing. And so we rightfully focus on on folks who are dealing with a disease or there's something that's debilitating, but we forget about those that are around them that are caring for them. And I, I love that she rightfully focuses on those folks in this piece. Well, and what's so encouraging to me is that Jesus came for this. Jesus came to meet us in our sin and our sickness and our sadness and our grief and our rebellion and our blues. And so uh, Christmas isn't just for the happy, clappy. I don't know why I keep saying that phrase, but, and the sentimental and the mushy and the gushy. Christmas is those who are in deep darkness and on them a light has shone and And I'm thankful for that hope that we have in Christ and that we serve a God who is big enough to handle these things and to come into our mess and to renew these things and to reconcile us to himself. And then finally, we have an article by Mike McGarry. In the midst of Christmas, you know, ministry is continuing and there are hosts of issues that those in ministry and just in everyday life are facing. So this article is in particular for those who are involved in youth ministry and it's titled Suggestions for Addressing LGBTQ Issues in Your Youth Ministry. So we know that, you know, when I was growing up in high school and middle school and high school, these issues were not yet at the forefront. I think I knew one person 
who was openly homosexual. But our youth today, young people today, this is just imbibed into the culture and it's expected to be accepted. And many teenagers are struggling with issues of their sexual identity. And so it's one that ministers in particular need to be well-equipped about and regarding and intentional in ministering to those who are struggling and pointing them to the hope and the forgiveness found in Christ and the flourishing that is found in the way that God has designed and ordained things. So it's it probably feels like an uphill battle sometimes, but it is it is a climb worth making so that you can see the youth in your care and those you minister to flourish as they find their identity in Christ and as they seek to conform their lives to his word. There are two truths in this piece that I just I love. In one section, he says this, I, I am uncomfortable with combining any other adjective with the label Christian. When we do that, there is a subtle competition between the two identities. The Christian's identity as a Christian should be the core identity that reshapes and refines every other identifier. I love that because that's absolutely true. And and he goes on to list several things, gender, nationality, sexuality, cultural preferences, denominational affiliations, etc. All that is true. When we find our identity in Christ, all the rest of that is secondary to that. And, and I love that. And then he ends it with this. If a practicing homosexual or transgendered person professes to be a Christian and yet persists in rejecting the Bible's teaching on sexuality, that person's conversion remains questionable. But rather than lobbing this warning as a grenade, offer concern that befits the gospel. It's not a cop-out to leave judgment in God's hands. The Lord has not rushed into judgment and neither should youth workers. So when in doubt, err on the side of patience. And at the same time, Christian leaders will be held accountable for holding fast to biblical teaching. And it is not loving or gracious to affirm a professing Christian sinful lifestyle, regardless of what that particular sin may be. And so that's true. It's just a reminder, kind of what you said at the outset, introducing this piece, uh, that uh, ministry is ongoing. And it's ongoing in all facets of a person's life. Uh, so if they're wrestling with something over here, whether it's, I don't know, doubt at one end of the of the spectrum, or it's completely at the other end of the spectrum where they're rejecting uh, what God has laid out in terms of uh, sexuality, our ministers, our pastors, they are, they are constantly navigating all of these different things. And this, I love how he ends this piece by saying, we need to hold fast to all of biblical teaching all of it, and we need to affirm it, and we don't need to uh, look away regardless of, of what a particular sin a person may be wrestling with. Those were good quotes from the article, Brent, and really got to the heart of the piece. And I'm thankful for people like Mike who have been involved in ministry and want to use their experience and their knowledge and their wisdom to help others be faithful to the Lord and be good shepherds to the people that the Lord has put under their care. So this is just a taste of what we have going on on our site this week. Of course, we'll have other articles next week. We'll be focusing on the work that the ERLC has done. We'll be continuing to point you to Christmas resources and Advent resources before we get to Christmas Day. But for now, that's a look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Moving into our culture section this week, Brent, why don't you let us in on what's been happening? 
Well, we will start with the biggest story that uh, nearly every news outlet and news network has been talking about over the last week, which is the massive outbreak of tornadoes that occurred in the central part of the country. So here in Tennessee, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, uh, Mississippi even, and especially Kentucky, uh, which has just been devastated, particularly the western part of Kentucky. And so uh, we will begin our look at this outbreak of tornadoes with Baptist Press. Southern Baptists arriving to help in mammoth tornado recovery. And so from the story, it says, Southern Baptist disaster relief teams were working in the initial phases of rescue and recovery on Tuesday, December 14th, in west and south central Kentucky. Teams from Kentucky, North Carolina, Missouri, and Texas have responded to calls for help, and since then, other state disaster relief teams have responded. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear said at least 100 Kentuckians are still missing as recovery efforts continue. The death toll for the storms that stretched across Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee early Saturday morning have left more than 70 dead. Kentucky Baptist Glenn Hickey is the incident commander for the site in Mayfield, Kentucky. Hickey calls the destruction the worst tornado-related damage he's ever seen. As he drove to the site on Saturday morning, he took note of damage stretching more than 150 miles between Bowling Green and Mayfield. And we should note there were two systems that uh, stretched for over 220 miles, which both of those set a new modern record uh, for the length of those tornadoes. And uh, with this devastation, uh, President Biden uh, came to Kentucky later in the week. And so this story comes to us from CBS. President Biden is in Kentucky on Wednesday to survey damage from a string of tornadoes that devastated the state and left at least 74 dead and scores more unaccounted for. While there, the president announced the federal government will cover 100% of the costs for the first 30 days for all emergency work completed in the affected areas in Kentucky. He said, We also need to recognize that people have suffered mental and emotional injuries, the president said as he wrapped up his day in the state. The cost of this is sometimes unseen and unknown. Mr. Biden began his trip with an aerial tour of Mayfield, which was devastated by a long-track tornado that began in northeast Arkansas and hit the western Kentucky community Friday night, according to the National Weather Service. There's no red tornadoes and blue tornadoes. There's no red states or blue states when this stuff starts to happen, Biden said. And I think, at least in my experience, it either brings people together or really knocks them apart. And we're moving together here. So uh, this was uh, just a, a huge national story. There has since been, uh, I guess, another outbreak uh, of weather in the upper Midwest. And I didn't realize this until just kind of reading through this. The U.S. is struck by more tornadoes each year than any other place on Earth. And for us, you know, here in Tennessee is an example, uh, nighttime tornadoes, scientists call them nocturnal tornadoes. I didn't realize this. In Tennessee, nearly 50% of the tornadoes that we have occur at night, which is like the highest in the in the nation. And those are, I mean, all tornadoes are terrible, but those are the worst kind yeah. when you're just worried if Oof. you're going to wake up in time. And we popped out of bed at 3 a.m. when all the alarms went off. And I told my husband, just grab the kids, grab one of the kids really quick and try to get them downstairs. And so we were in our little bathroom, but 
yeah, the the devastation is just awful. And I spent eight years in Kentucky, and so I'm familiar with some of the towns. Got some friends that were from Mayfield and that live close by. It, it just is so sad. I grew up in Florida with hurricanes, so I just have a particular disdain for tornadoes because they are so unpredictable. That is what is so terrifying to me. So I'm thankful for Christians who are going to the sites to help and care for people. I'm particularly grateful for Southern Baptists who have such an amazing disaster relief team and are so effectual at serving and ministering in the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel and meeting real tangible needs in order to care for people with the love of Christ. I just, the Lord bless and keep those who are on all manner of disaster relief teams and I just pray that he would he would um, open a door for the gospel um, in the midst of such heartache. In the in the middle of the week, the North American Mission Board, our, our sister entity down in Alpharetta, Georgia, they posted the the big eighteen wheeler sin relief truck uh, moving out, full of supplies, going to uh, parts of Tennessee and and definitely parts of of Kentucky. And it, it's sad when you see that truck being mobilized and 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 moving out uh, but at the same time it's really encouraging to know okay southern baptists once again when disaster strikes the the SBC moves to serve in those communities that have been affected by storms and in that sense it was great to see once again uh, our sin relief team is doing a great job they're prepared and they they move out immediately to serve and uh, and so we're so thankful uh, for all the folks at Sin Relief and, and what they do to mobilize on behalf of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Our next story deals with a breakthrough that occurred in the middle of the week uh, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and it involves a, a major issue that is a public policy priority for us here at the ERLC, and that is the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Uh, which is sponsored by several senators and representatives, among them uh, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida and Congressman Chris Smith from New Jersey. And unfortunately, it has now kind of hit a snag. And so this story comes to us from Politico, a bipartisan deal to crack down on China's treatment of Muslim stalls in the Senate. Bipartisan frustration took hold in the Senate Wednesday night as a long-running drama over the GOP blockade of President Joe Biden's ambassador nominees became entangled in the expiration of the boosted child tax credit, stalling several year-end priorities. Senators were on the cusp of an agreement to send a House-passed bill cracking down on the Chinese government's genocide of Uyghur Muslims to President Biden's desk, while achieving a breakthrough on stalled foreign policy nominees. But Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, objected to the deal as he sought to extend the expanded child tax credit for one year. But Senator Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, who led the Uyghur bill, countered that the child tax credit was unrelated to the underlying agreement he had struck with Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, on scheduling votes on critical national security positions in the Biden administration. But Wyden's objection doomed both the nomination votes and the Uyghur bill, which his Oregon Democratic colleague Jeff Merkley co-authored. We have now since learned that on Thursday at noon, Senator Rubio is going to again bring up this agreement and ask for quick passage 
on this uh, bill to combat the genocide of the Uyghur people in China. Uh, so we don't yet know how that is turning out, uh, but we are hopeful that it will, because the reality is we tend to have this reaction when we talk about Washington, and and rightfully so. We all just kind of roll our eyes like, well, once again, there's gridlock in D.C., there is dysfunction. And in some ways, the system was actually created to have that. But when you take a step back from that and you realize we are talking about an active genocide that is going on on this planet. And it's like, y'all can't get together to make this happen. It just seems like, mercy, please, y'all, put down the partisan, you know, tools and weapons that you're using. Uh, Quit with, you know, assailing one another for just a moment to get something that actually could have a positive effect uh, on this issue uh, in China. Like, get this done. Please get this done. Because... Every moment where something like this is delayed, more people are are being forced into these slave camps in China, and we just can't allow that to happen. So let's get it together, Washington. Let's, let's make this happen. And we we have spoken loudly on this issue over the course of the last year and even before that. And it's hard to imagine that genocides still happen in our day. It's not as easy to ignore them because we are in a connected digital age, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my colleagues at the ERLC and others on Twitter bringing this to my attention. And I also wanted to let you, the listeners, know and give you a link in our show notes to the various resources that we have put out about this. So if you're wanting to know more about this act that Brent has been talking about, then click on this link and it will give you a rundown of different resources that we have put out over the last little bit. So our next story comes to us from ABC News, and I think everyone in our audience will rejoice at the update uh, to this story. The remaining members of a missionary group who were kidnapped two months ago have been freed, Haiti police and the group said Thursday. The spokesman for Haiti's National Police confirmed to the Associated Press that the remaining hostages have been released but did not immediately provide additional details. The missionaries were kidnapped by the 400 Mawazo gang on October 16th. There were five children in the group of 16 U.S. citizens and one Canadian, including an eight-month-old. Their Haitian driver also was abducted, according to a local human rights organization. The leader of the 400 Mawazo gang had threatened to kill the hostages unless his demands were met. Authorities had said the gang was demanding $1 million per person, although it wasn't immediately clear that included children in the group. So this is something a a number of folks, particularly at our uh, fellow entity, the IMB, been paying attention to this. A number of folks at the State Department, several of our contacts on Capitol Hill uh, have all been watching this situation, praying earnestly and working behind the scenes to make sure that the, the folks in this missionary group were freed and Thankfully, uh, it has uh, apparently come to a happy ending, and praise God for that. Absolutely. What a terrifying ordeal. A while back, I read a book about the missionaries who were kidnapped in the Philippines. So I thought her name was Marcia, but it's Gracia Burnham, and her husband was Martin. He ended up dying. But it was a fascinating slash terrifying book. I would recommend that you look it up, you read it, just the the harrowing ordeal that they went through, how the Lord sustained them and sustained Gracia. And 
I can imagine that that some of that was happening in the midst of this particular situation. But it just reminds me that our missionaries face terrifying things. They go out, they put their lives on the line, and they they truly do face terrifying things that we can't quite imagine. That's absolutely the case. All right, so our, our next story comes to us from Axios, and it deals with flight attendants and what they are facing in the not-so-friendly skies. They are urging the federal government to step in and help. Flying has become so dangerous for crew members due to attacks by violent passengers that airline unions are asking for government help in bringing civility back to the skies. They want tougher penalties and a coordinated response to violent behavior they say puts everyone on board at risk. If disruptions or defiance of crew instructions keep happening, quote, we are in jeopardy of missing cues to a coordinated attack or handing tools to those who wish to do us harm, says Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants. Flight attendants have one message for everyone who touches aviation and the lawmakers charged with oversight of our industry. Make it stop. Nelson was among the airline industry officials testifying Wednesday at a Senate Commerce Committee hearing on the impact of federal support for airlines during the COVID pandemic. And this is really what she was talking about. 2021 saw a sharp increase in bad behavior among airline passengers, according to data from the Federal Aviation Administration. The FAA reported 5,664 unruly passenger incidents and over 4,000 mask-related incidents through December 14th. I raise this because a number of us are about to uh, take to the skies to visit family and loved ones across the country, and I would hope that those of us who are Christians, we would actually exude the love of Jesus as we are flying uh, and, and hopefully not become one of these statistics uh, of an unruly passenger incident. Please don't let that be any one of us. Oh, man. And if we do, shame on us. What's sad to me is that we're having to look to the law to enforce tougher penalties in order to bring back civility while flying. I'm just, it should just be a duh thing, you know? Just let's be kind to people. Let's follow along with the the rules and the procedures you know, I really would like to see, know the breakdown. I don't mean to make this into a partisan thing, and I consider myself a conservative. I would really like to know the breakdown of the party that those offenders are affiliated with, because I have in my mind uh, what the breakdown would be to know those who are being unruly because of mask mandates and such. I'm not going to say it, but I have in my mind what that might be. And it's just really sad that really— our partisanship and our politics it has affected so many areas of our lives in such a negative, mm -hmm. destructive way. Well, and the and the other thing that she talked about and, and also in some follow-up interviews that I saw with Mrs. Nelson was the prevalence of alcohol being a part oh, of these situations. Yes, and for I've sure. I've noticed in in recent flights that I've taken, and this is definitely a change from pre-COVID times, is they are very um, uh, purposeful in telling folks, "Hey, if you have brought alcohol on board, you gotta you gotta leave it stowed away." And and I'm just like, "Hey, I, I guess I don't think like that. Bring alcohol aboard a plane. <laughs> just like that. I don't work like that. So it boggles my mind that somebody would think to do that. But then also, like, are they like if they do, like, are they like you know sipping from a flask? And it just 
everybody just wants to get on the plane and safely arrive at their destination and not have any drama uh, as that happens. And these flight attendants, the pilots, the crew, they're all just trying to ensure that that happens. And so be gracious towards these people uh, that are are just trying to do their job and, and don't make it harder for them. I was on a flight pre-COVID and where a lady almost got kicked off. She, We were sitting just a couple rows in front of her. It was a group of friends. You could tell they probably had been drinking. They were older ladies. They were not 20-somethings. Older ladies that I'm assuming were probably in their 50s. She ends up trying to save these seats and this young girl, probably 21, tries to sit down. She's with her mom and this lady tells her off. Like a grown woman. I'm like, pick on someone your own size. And so they had to bring on security to talk to her and threaten to kick her off. It was mm. so fraught mm. with tension and terrible. But people just, people done lost their minds. Mm. Well, as uh, as Christmas is coming upon us, this last story is also from Axios. And it is about Omicron descending upon us. The Or the, Omicron. Whichever you want to call it. Omicron, Omicron. Tomato, tomato. That's right. That is also uh, descending upon us. The U.S. is now averaging about 122,000 new cases per day, a slight increase over the past week, but a 41% spike over the past two weeks. Roughly 1,300 Americans are dying from COVID infections per day on average. And the CDC's most recent update, released last week, showed a 15% jump in hospitalizations. Wisconsin has the country's biggest COVID outbreak right now relative to its population, with an average of roughly 100 cases per 100,000 people. And Michigan has more COVID deaths per 100,000 people than any other state, followed by Montana, Arizona, Kentucky, and Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, as we are closing out 2021, we're Closing it out much the same way as we did in 2020. Uh, there, there is a, a variant that is out there. It is spreading, uh, folks. Uh, as, as you are traveling for the holidays, as you are visiting loved ones, uh, just just be safe as you do so. I'm actually getting my vaccination booster uh, later today, and uh, gosh, folks, try and do that uh, before you see loved ones, and, and try and be safe this holiday season as best you can. Yeah. And you know, at this point, I think people are just plumb over COVID. So I I would guess it's going to keep spreading. As we talked about last week, I don't know what the statistics are, but if it's more contagious but less severe in those who are vaccinated, I would hope. Uh, so I hope that's the case and that we will get past this spike of COVID because I'm I don't think people are going to stay inside or lock mm. down again. Think those days are over. Yeah. I kind of feel like Superman with a, having my booster and stuff. And I know it doesn't make me invincible, but it sure makes me feel a lot different than I did when COVID first hit. Are you going to feel like Superman once you're boosted? Did you wear a shirt with an S on your chest? I wore today? a shirt. I wore a shirt with a T on my chest for Tennessee. Oh, not which is better. Superman. Which is better than opposite Superman, of Superman, actually. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Well, y'all... Tennis T for on your shirt for terrible. There you go. Uh, there you go, Lindsay. Just get that, get that little slight in, mm -hmm. if you will, here at the end. But uh, folks, be safe out there for uh, Christmas, New Year's, and we'll look at culture again in 2022. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Brent. And it is crazy that we'll be talking about next year, the next time we come back, and how January is shaping up. 
now it's time for the lunchroom where we tell you about what we are talking about with each other. Brent, what do you have for us in this last lunchroom of the year? I hope it's something good. I mean, Lindsay, I don't ever not come with something good. But this one is uh, something that I've really enjoyed over the last several weeks. So I think I've talked about before, on our way to school each morning as I drop off my kids, that that typically turns into a time where we talk about, you know, scripture and theological things. And I've been trying to figure out a way to incorporate more just actual reading of the word in those moments. And uh, I, I stumbled upon an app that came out several years ago. I mean, it's probably 10 years old, at least at this time. Uh, it's called the Word of Promise Bible app. And it's essentially a dramatic reading of the Bible. And they have several kind of big name stars that voiced various parts of the Bible. And they add some sound effects in the background. And, what, and my kids have just loved it. And uh, I've also found that I'm loving it. Uh, so like after I drop them off, I'll, I'll continue. You know, recently I've been listening to James quite a bit. Uh, that that's where I've been, and but like just going through either Genesis or Exodus with our kids, um, they have just loved like hearing someone that sounds like I don't know uh, Moses actually voicing through things to to Pharaoh, and like they have just thought that this this has been great, and um, there's not a lot that will hold the attention of all three of my kids at the same time. And this app has done that. So I want to give all the credit in the world to the developers of this app. And again, there's probably many folks in our audience that have heard of this before. But if you haven't, check it out. We'll drop the direct link into our show notes, uh, the Word of Promise Bible app. It is just a wonderful audio Bible and I, I just, I, sh- I appreciate all the little things that they've, you know, little sounds that they've put in the background. Um, like, for example, in the, in the book of James, where I am, you actually hear James, like, dipping an ink pen into uh, the jar of ink to, to write down. I, it's just, I, I love just little things like that. And it ha- really helps uh, it come to life. And I will say that it does cost a little bit of money. So you can get the app for free if you want to actually download all of Scripture. Uh, I think it's like $35 or $40. It, it was well worth it for me. But uh, I think that would be actually a good Christmas present to yourself if you're a if you're a parent out there or if you're just someone who wants to experience the the Bible in just a slightly different way. I really recommend this. So that's that's what I'm bringing to the lunchroom this week, Lindsay. What you got, Brent? That sounds really interesting. Actually, I was looking it up as you were talking about it. I would like to find a Bible app that does that. So I guess I have found one, depending on the versions that are on there, you know, because some of us are version snobs. Well, yeah, th- there are several versions. The ones that we, the one that we've been listening to is actually the new King James version. Okay. And that, the, the kids have just eaten it's been it up. Great, yeah. They've eaten it up. I love that. So the ESV Bible app, now they've got some new voices reading it. Cause I used to listen to that and Justin would be like, oh, how can you listen to that? That voice It's just not great. So now Kristen Getty does one. And so I listened to her and I think we've talked about this before. Ray Ortland's going to be doing it, Jackie Hill Perry. But I'm excited to check this out. 
And hopefully as Marion gets older, she'll be able to engage with it as well. I want to hear James dip his pen into the uh, ink quill and and write, or the ink, whatever it's called. Ink jar. Ink with jar the quill. with his quill. Yeah. And then right. he, he, you know, he un, unrolls the scroll and then he just starts writing. And there's another one. I, I Maybe, I think we were in Galatians the other day and somebody was pouring a drink in the background. Uh, like it just probably really, coffee. Yeah, it brings it to life. That's fun. I love it. I do like that. I love that. That reminds me of The Chosen too. So another plug for that. If you haven't watched The Chosen, so, so well worth it. And it is free. Well, one of the things I wanted to share, well, both of them are just funny. So this is just a funny meme or saying that's gone around And if you're a new mom, a new parent, you will definitely jive with this. And it says, Mary, exhausted, having just gotten Jesus to sleep, is approached by a young man who thinks to himself, what this girl needs is a drum solo. Of course, it's just a play on the little drummer (laughs) drummer boy, boy. which I love that song. Uh But it is hilarious if you think about it, because I am pretty sure I'd be like, no, 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 please do not play the drum for my child. Uh, Please, he may be the son of God, but I want him to sleep, please. So that cracks me up. Another one is, it's just a joke, people. And it's a video from Saturday Night Live. It's called Man Park. And it's kind of a knock on women and on men. And it's hilarious. So it follows these guys. So as if the guys were the ones who stayed at home all day and when their wives walk in, all they want to do is just talk. And the the women are like, you just need to go find some friends. And so they're like, but I don't know how to find friends. And so it's introducing this new concept called the man park, like a dog park where these guys can go and meet up together and make friendships. And they have different parks for different breeds. So if you're large, there's large <laughs> breed park <laughs> and a small breed park. And it, it is so funny. I showed it to my husband and he was laughing too. I just got a good kick out of it. And I hope that you will too. Well, if Justin was laughing at it, it's guaranteed laughs for everyone in our uh, audience. Of course. It is it's silliness and so it's enjoyable. But what I wanted to do real quick too since it is Christmas, you know, and we're saying we're not going to talk to our friends and listeners until next year. Just mm-hmm. wanted to ask a few Christmas questions. So mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what's your go-to Christmas movie, Brent? Mm. Uh it's either Christmas Vacation if I want to laugh. Or if it's my wife and I sitting down and like just wanting to really enjoy it, it's White Christmas. That is a good one. We love White Christmas. Yeah, so. that is a good one. I don't think I could get Justin to watch White Christmas with me. I feel like the you, musical. I feel like you and Justin would take a random train ride up to Vermont and sing in the oh man in the food sisters, car. Sisters, sisters, <laughs> I love it. It gets you at the end when the I don't want to give it away in case anyone hasn't seen it, but oh, the guy that owns the inn just it gets you. Uh, Christmas Vacation, yes, is, although I can't promote everything in there. That's true. There's some parts to skip. Christmas Vacation. You know what? I sometimes consider, although I know some people aren't going to like these either, the Harry Potter movies, Christmas movies, because it happens during the winter a lot. So I've been (laughs) watching the Harry Potter movies. (laughs) Some years I want to watch Christmas movies. Some years I don't. I love Elf. I think it's hilarious. Love Christmas Vacation. I love Die Hard, even though there are things to, like the TBS version is better and you should just skip over some things. Uh, I do not promote it. I really love The 12 Dates of Christmas, which is like a cheesy Hallmark movie, Christmas movie, mm-hmm. and you can watch that on Prime, I think. Just You strike me as a uh, a prince for Christmas No, type, no, no. Uh, I tried to watcher. watch The Princess Switch or something at our friend Megan's recommendation. Had to turn it off in a second. I love the Home Alones, although I cringe and now having my own kids because I'm like, wow, 
they talked so terribly to each other. It is awful. But I love it. The second one I love, not the third. So there's, uh, anyway, I asked you what's your go-to, and I just named 5,000 of them. That's right. I mean, it's your show, really. Okay. I'm just listening Uh, at this point. Are you a Christmas blow-up person, like in the front yard, or no? Nope. Well, my neighbors are. I used to not be, but now for my kids, I feel like I want to be. Are you a Christmas lights on the bushes or house person? Yeah, absolutely. And only white lights. I don't do colored lights. Only white, so not colored lights. Yeah, Yeah. only white lights. Yeah, we're white lights right now, but I'm I'm starting to warm to the, Mm -mm. to the, uh, Multicolored lights. Yeah. Don't do it. Keep it classy. Um, are you Christmas? What's your traditional Christmas meal? Uh, Christmas preference? ham. Ham. Oh yeah. Honey baked or like your own? Oh, I uh, store bought. Does yeah. it just look like Thanksgiving with a ham? Yes. Instead. Yes. Okay. Lots and lots of food. And yes. Chocolate pies. Chocolate pies. Mm, okay. Mamaw's chocolate pie. Mamaw's chocolate oh, pie. Man. I thought Mamaw made a cola, 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 Coca-Cola cake. Yeah, she made Coca-Cola salad. Oh, uh, salad. Yeah. But uh, nobody else has been able to really do yeah. that. So, Well, we, we generally are Christmas similar to Thanksgiving, but my husband doesn't really like ham. So I'm not sure what we're going to do this year. So we'll figure that out. What about stockings? Are stockings a big deal in your house? Uh, they are a deal. I don't know if they're a big deal, but yes, we do. We do fill our stockings, and uh, Meredith loves to give each of our three an orange in their stocking, oh, among other things. Yeah, but she likes to do that because we always remind them. She would, you know, have stories from her grandparents, certainly my grandparents, about how in the Depression, if you got an orange, that was like a great Christmas gift. And and so she likes to remind them, like, you see all this under the tree and all this in the stocking? Well, this right here, in a number of homes, this was the thing that children looked forward to for Christmas. And so don't take everything else that you're getting for granted because mm-hmm. sometimes this is all that that some kids had to look forward to. Right. So, And it probably is in some parts of the world as well. Many parts of the world. Yeah, that's true. And oftentimes, I'll be the one that actually eats the orange. Eats the orange because yeah. your kids are like, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. But we got all <laughs> these other things in our stocking. Stockings are a big deal. I want them full to the brim. My husband was not that way. So I have to give him suggestions and remind him to fill up my stocking, please. I feel like that's how it is with a mom's life anyway. You just, you're kind of taking care of all the things and you've got to remind everybody to make sure to get your presents and wrap them so you don't have to wrap them yourself. (laughs) Oh, even though Justin is very thoughtful. And tell me this, do you have any Christmas morning traditions? Like, do you make the kids sleep in till a certain time? Well, yes. Usually one set of grandparents is like driving in uh, the morning of, so we make them wait to come downstairs until they arrive, which is usually pretty early in the morning, but they're going crazy upstairs. But... And I also, I, I do this thing where I like to leave all the Christmas lights on in the house all night, Christmas Eve night. You know, so usually like right now, we'll, we'll turn off some of the Christmas lights when we go to bed and all that. But on Christmas Eve night, I, I like to keep them on all night. I have no idea why I do that, but. So Santa will know where your house is? Maybe that's, yeah, maybe. No, no, we keep the outside lights on all the time. Yeah, no, but. The like the Christmas mm-hmm. tree and the we got the the little Christmas village. I just imagine you in your like matching Christmas pajamas going to sleep with your <laughs> cup of hot cocoa, <laughs> reading a Christmas carol by your bedside. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, so. My last question. Actually, we've been reading John Piper's uh, 
Christmas devotional. Oh, uh, well, someone who reminds me of Santa. And he John really Piper. is. He is he is as jolly. <laughs> he is just as jolly as St. Nick. <laughs> just as jolly and rotund as they can. Which we we should say we love Dr. <laughs> yes, Piper we if do. you if you know him. Jolly is not usually the word no, that you would he's use very to describe serious, yes. Dr. Piper. So then last question. Does your <laughs> and I know we all have a variety of opinions on this. Does your family do Santa or not? Oh no. No, we don't do Santa. Yeah, no, we, Santa. no, we don't. No, we don't. But we have had to like caution the kids. Like you, you can't go be a Santa truther with other children in your class because there are other families out there that are doing that. But no, we right. chose we chose very early on to to just say, ah, no, it's it's Mama and Daddy who are doing that. And yeah, so I guess this is the Santa haters podcast because we're not really doing Santa either. Now, Marion somehow is well, I know how, but from watching super simple songs and stuff on the iPad, knows who Santa is as a cultural character. And she says, I love Santa. Santa bring presents. And I'm like, how did you even learn that? Well, let me explain to you. So she loves Santa, even though she doesn't really understand. But yeah, we'll do it a little different too. But no shame to those who choose to do that differently. Well, that was a fun Christmas rundown. One more. One of your favorite Christmas carols. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. That I is a good one. I love that one. That's a good one. And you know, one of my favorites in uh, the last few years has been God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It is a rich Christmas carol. Oh, yeah. If you have ever paid much attention to it. There's a version on Glee, actually. I never watched the show. I just downloaded the music that she sings so beautifully. And I love it. Well, you know, we're that's just a great way to close out this last podcast for 2021. Again, we are so glad that you continually show up and listen to Brent and I um, banter. banter with each other, <laughs> get, try to give you a little bit of the news and let you know what the ERLC is up to. We're thankful for you. We hope that you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2022. That's right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Just a reminder, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And in addition to listening to this podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy issues that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.